today is going to be a little bit different. Normally, we start out with a, uh, a Bible verse and then move to explain what that Bible verse means. Um, today, we are going to jump around a little bit. So we're not going to start out with the typical Bible verse that we would have, but instead we're going to see uh, several different Bible verses as we go throughout our lesson. Last week, if you were not here, what we talked about was uh, what is a church and why should you join a church? Is that biblical? And I think, I hope we walked away saying that this is what a biblical church is, a group of believers, a local church is a group of believers that agrees to partner together on mission and hold each other accountable and encourage one another. And then should you join a local church? I hope that we saw, yes, you should. That's a biblical thing. It happened in the New Testament all the time and uh, we should follow their example. This week, we are moving on to something different. So I'll start out with a quick question. Why are we here? What are we trying to start? A church. That's it. <laughs> yes. We're, we're here to start a church. <clears throat> now, if I told you that we were going to start an incredibly unhealthy church, it was going to be unstable, it was going to be uh, horrible in every way, would you be like, oh, yes, finally, this is what I've been looking for all my life. This is what I want to dedicate the next several years to. Now, of course you wouldn't. We want to be a healthy church. We want to be a strong church. We want to be a sound church. But that's not as easy as it may seem. By show of hands, how many of us have ever been in a competition of some sort? Show of hands, how many of us have ever been in a competition of some sort? Yeah? Almost all of us, if not all of us, have. How would you feel if you were in a competition and there was no scorecard? If you were in a competition, you had no idea if you were doing well, if you were winning. Well, how would that make you feel? Frustrated, aggravated. What are you working toward? It's not a competition if there's no way of winning, is there? Because we're trying to compete. Now, I understand that we're not competing with other churches. That's not what I'm saying. But we need to know as a church if we are doing well. We need to know if we are healthy as a church. In our culture, how do people judge if a church is good or not? In our culture, how do people judge if a church is good or not? Attendance? Mm-hmm. Now, let's say a visitor comes. Music? Yeah. Do they have good music? Yeah. Programs for the kids. Mm-hmm. Facilities. Yeah. They study the Bible. They have good parking. Are the bathrooms clean? We could narrow in on that one. They have a good preacher. They have a good preacher. Yeah. Is, is the preacher entertaining? No, did he, did he hold my attention? Are young people there? Or is the branding on point? Now, some of this is good, right? Like, should have good preaching, should have good teaching. Some of it is okay, but it's not ultimate. Some of those things can point to our priorities. And so what we want to do is we want to find the things that really indicate if we are healthy. And we can do that by looking at the Bible. These are deep, deep traits that we can find within the Bible. So today we're going to look at 10 traits of a solid church. These are baseline characteristics that help us 
form a scorecard of a biblical church. And there are a lot more that we could say, but we're just going to focus on these 10. I think this boils it down to 10 essentials. So 10, I have never, um, that I can recall anyway, had a lesson that had 10 points. So I normally account for about 10 to 15 minutes per point. Hope you're not hungry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're going to fly through it. Number one, uh, the first trait of a solid church is gospel clarity. The gospel is at the, is at the heart of Christianity. If you take away the gospel from Christianity, what do you have? Not Christianity, something else. Imagine if we were all to get in our cars right now and drive to the nearest Dunkin' Donuts. We, we get to the, the uh, restaurant, we walk into the lobby, get up to the cashier and say, hey, uh, I would like to place an order. He says, okay, tell me whatever you want. And we look up at the menu and we notice that something is strange about it. Instead of what's normally on there, it is all coffee. And we say, um, hey, we just... We just wanted a few donuts. The cashier says, oh, no, 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 we don't do that anymore. We kind of moved past that. We're not, a, we're not really a donut place. But you can have some coffee. Would it be right for us to still call that place Dunkin' Donuts? Because if they lose the donuts, don't they lose who they are? You know, if, if they don't have the donuts, they don't have the center of what makes them Dunkin' Donuts. In the same way, if the church loses the gospel at its center... It is no longer a biblical church. It becomes something else, something less. Jesus said this in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's what he's saying. That all of existence, all of creation, all of eternity find their meaning in me. That's what Jesus is saying. In my death, my resurrection, my life. If a church does not recognize that, does not center itself on that, then we are going against what Jesus said. We are losing the gospel. All the time, we are tempted to believe uh, things that are not centered on the gospel, ideas that are not gospel-centric, doctrines that are not clear about the gospel. What are some of the false, false gospels that are out there today? Believe in yourself. That's right. God came to really just empower you to be a better you. What else? What's another false gospel? Prosperity, Prosperity gospel. That Jesus died so that you could have health and wealth here and now. There's the morality gospel. That Jesus came to make good people so the world would be better. Anything else? The religion gospel, which is Jesus came to institute a religion so that you would do all of these things so that he would then be happy with you. You would earn his satisfaction. Now, all of these teach us something that is not true about God. It muddies the true gospel so that we don't know what it is. What is the true gospel? We're going to go through this for just a minute. What is the true gospel? Here it is. That you are created to be in a relationship with your creator, God. But because of sin, you reject God and you have been distant from him. And you can never undo what sin has done. But God loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. That you may have a relationship with him again. 
Jesus lived, died, but he was more powerful than death. So he rose from the grave by the power of the spirit and he ascended to heaven and sent his spirit to live in us that we might have life in him. And those who trust in him will spend eternity with him. And those who do not trust in him will spend eternity apart from his grace. Those who believe in him will have true life. That is the gospel. If we lose that, we lose everything. If we are not clear about that, we lose everything. So number one is gospel clarity. Number two, biblical teaching. The Bible is the word of God. It tells us what we should believe. Now, how do we know what we are supposed to believe? How do we know what we are supposed to believe? From scripture, that's it, right? We understand what we are supposed to understand and believe about God because we can read his word and the Holy Spirit empowers us as we read his word to understand. Even as Christians, we struggle to think rightly and feel rightly about God. But God has given us his word to center us, to bring us to who he is in our minds. So it is as, it is as if the old self that we have is making its last stand against the new self that God has given us and is trying to make us believe that God is not who he says he is. But he has shown us and we respond by worshiping him. 2 Corinthians 3, or 2 Timothy rather, 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Lord has given us his word so that we would be taught who he is and live in response to that. We can get together all day long and talk about what we think God is like. We can talk about our experiences of God. But if those do not line up with scripture, then they are not profitable. They are not good. Instead, we come to scripture and submit our minds to it. The book of Ephesians tells us that we are called to help each other grow up into Christ. How can we possibly do that? If we are not learning from his word what he is like, what we are supposed to grow up into. The Bible shows us the object of our faith. It places it out in front of us so that we would know who God is and worship him. A solid church listens to the command of Paul or the command of God through Paul to a young pastor who he just told, preach the word, not philosophy, not anthropology, preach the word. That's 2 Timothy 4.2. So number two is biblical teaching. Number three, faithful theology. The word theology comes from two different words. I'm sure you know this. Theos or theos, which is God, and then ology, which is the study of. So it is the study of God. Why is it important to study what the Bible has to say about God? Why is it important to study what the Bible has to say about God? That way we know who we are worshiping, Right? We know the character of God. See, we were made to be in a relationship with him. Our purpose is to glorify God. Think of glorifying as pointing other people to God. Well, if you don't know what God is like, you might be pointing to someone else, not God. So we are called to have faithful theology, theology that really represents who God is. All of us have this natural temptation 
to make God into some form of what we want him to be. When we submit ourselves to scripture, that can't happen. We see who he truly is. Now, have you ever heard someone say something like, I choose to think God is like fill in the blank. You ever heard that? I've had multiple conversations with people who uh, we were talking about the character of God and eventually we just opened the Bible and read what it said about God. And the person's response was, I could never worship a God like that. Here's what the Bible says, that we will all worship God one day as he is. And the church right now is called to understand who he is and worship him truly. And so we are called to have faithful theology. Now think about how this impacts us as a church. Imagine that there is someone in here who grew up without a dad. And their understanding of God is in some way impacted by the way they grew up. So their whole life, their whole Christian life is spent trying to please God, trying to earn his love so that he won't abandon them. And whenever they sin, whenever they fail, they are totally upset. They are totally destroyed by their failure because they believe that they have let God down and he's going away. When we have faithful theology, when we show each other what God is really like because he has shown us in his word, we are helping that person understand that God will never forsake you. God is faithful, though your earthly father might not have been. And then that person is encouraged to worship God more. They are encouraged to pursue Christ more and to enjoy God more. Faithful theology, we could call this, probably in our cultures it's talked about this way, a deep church. You've heard this before. Oh, that teaching is deep. All that means is that it is saying what is true about God, digging into what the scriptures say so that we would know God more. A church that is not deep, a church that maybe is shallow. It may seem like it's a good thing because it's inviting outsiders and introducing them to God. But at the end of the day, if we are not grounded in the tr true depth of who God is, when the wolves come, when the false teachers come, when hard times hit, we will be taken away. So a solid church has faithful theology. Number four, a solid church has regenerate partnership or membership, as we may call it. We said this last week that the church is made up of those who believe in Jesus, those who confess that Jesus is Lord. Another way of saying this is that the church is made up of those who are regenerate. Regeneration just means that you've been given new life. The Holy Spirit has given you a new heart. So those who are part of the church are new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says you are a new creation. Jesus says in John 3 that you have been born again. God has taken your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh, Ezekiel 36.26 says. Now these verses all tell us that we have been made new by Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever seen one of those shows where they take somebody's car and they completely revamp it. You know, they may give it a new motor, a new paint job, change the mirrors, change the rims. They go inside, they change everything on the inside. Maybe they add a hot tub to the back. I don't know how they do that. It doesn't make any sense. Or who would use that? The gas mileage would go so far down. Um, at the end of the show, when, when that car is given back to the owner, you'll hear the owner say something like, is this even my car? 
I don't even recognize it. That is what regeneration is like. We are made new in Jesus so that we are not like what we were before. We are made new. So what are some reasons that you have heard why people left the church altogether? What is a reason that someone said, I can never go back to church? There it is. You've, you've heard that one. That they are, the church is a bunch of hypocrites. Maybe you've actually experienced this yourself. You, you were with someone that was supposed to be growing in godliness and holiness. They were supposed to be a new creation in Christ. And then they cuss you straight out the door in a business meeting using words you've never even heard before. The church is full of hypocrites. That's what people say. And we know that that's true based on our experience. But we are called to represent God in this world. Titus 2.8 says this says to watch the way we live so that our opponents will be ashamed because they don't have anything bad to say about us. If the church body, that is the partners in the church, the members of the church, if we allow people to become part of the church body that are not believers, that are not made new in Christ, are we not giving ample reason to our opponents to say things bad about us? to judge us, to destroy, destroy our reputation in the community, to dishonor our God. We are. But Ephesians 5 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Who is Jesus presenting as holy and blameless? The church. That's right. So we are soiling the very thing that Jesus is deep cleaning when we allow people to join as covenant partners, the church. Now, that doesn't mean people can't participate. We talked about this last week. Of course, people can come worship with us. Of course, they can serve in some ways. But when we allow them to join the church, we are trying to undo what Christ is doing. Think about what is at stake. If we permit someone to join that does not have faith in Jesus, we are giving them a false sense of assurance. We are saying to them in some way, you have been reconciled to God when they are still enemies of God. How horrible is that? Think about it. That we say you are good with God only to have them Hear this when they meet Jesus, depart from me, I never knew you. Is there anything that we could do more unloving than give people that false sense of, of assurance? So that is regenerate partnership or regenerate, regenerate membership. Number five, explicit evangelism. We are called to share the hope that we have with the world, right? Right? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This verse is very clear, that God is using his people to sped, spread his message to his world. So it's not like some Christians are called to share the gospel and then other Christians get a pass on that. We are all called to be evangelistic to share the good news of what Jesus has done with this lost world. And it's, why one, it's one of the core purposes why a church exists. So I want you to think of someone 
that you know that does not yet know Jesus. Think of someone that you know that does not yet know Jesus. Now hear these words from our Lord. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. That's from John 3.36. Now hear this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on whom in whom they have not believed? On him in whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's Romans 10. If we do not carry the gospel to the world, if you do not share the good news with that person that you are thinking of, who will? How are they ever going to know God if you are not the one that introduces them to him? How are they going to ever have hope if you don't share the hope that you have with them? A solid church realizes that it is important to be explicitly evangelistic, to unashamedly share the gospel, but not just here in Freeport. We are called to share the gospel with the nations, with the world. And so what we do as a church is we partner with others. We take mission trips, we send missionaries, we fund other people so that the gospel will go out to the nations. This is how we think of missions. Are we partnering with people and are we doing things where the work that is being done will lead to explicit gospel conversations? Is the good news actually being shared? Because that is what we are called to do as a church. A healthy church shares the gospel, but also understands that we are partners with the Holy Spirit in evangelism. We recognize that he is the one who does the heavy lifting. Now, I want to share several verses of scripture really quickly about what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit draws people near to Jesus, John 6, 44. Convicts the world of sin, John 16, 8. Reveals the truth, John 16, 13. Points people to Jesus, John 15, 26. Gives the dead new life, 1 Peter 3, 18. When we evangelize, we must realize that the Spirit is the one giving us power, Acts 1, 8. Giving us wisdom, Ephesians 1.17. Giving us confidence, 2 Timothy 1.7. Giving us the words to say, Luke 12.12. 12. And he is the one who will produce the results, 1 Corinthians 3.7. God, in his wisdom and grace, allows us to partner with him to reach those that are far from him. And we do our part. God, in turn does his part and does the work that we could never do, saving people's souls. That is explicit evangelism. The number six, sixth trait of a solid church, congregational commitment. Is the congregation committed to seeing the church grow and thrive? Are people seeking to create a church that is pursuing Christ and his mission? Now, when I say church, I don't mean the institution. I mean the people. That's what the church is. The group of people that are working together to advance God's kingdom in this world. Are we committed to each other? Are we committed to helping each other grow up into Christ? What are some ways that we can measure commitment in the church? 
what are some ways that we can measure commitment in the church? Serving? Yeah. Anything else? Attendance. Attendance. Absolutely. Anything else? Tithe. Tithe, yeah. Giving. Being generous. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Those are all great. This is a quick list I made. I'm sure that there are more. Baptism. Are people showing that they are united to Christ and united to the people of God by being baptized? Attendance, we said this. Are people regularly attending? Not just for themselves. Um, Hebrews 10 says that we shouldn't forsake. We shouldn't give up on gathering together. But here, here's the thing. When we get together, you are an encouragement to me. You are an encouragement to the person next to you. When you are singing about the faithfulness of God, though you were just diagnosed with something that can't be cured, you are encouraging and teaching others just by being here, just by participating. Then communion. Are we regularly reflecting on what Christ has done for us? Because when we take communion, I'm communicating to you and you are communicating to me that Jesus died for our sin and his blood is still effective. Prayer. Are we praying for each other? Are we praying for the church as a whole? Service, as we said. Are we meeting each other's needs? Now, y'all know the one that I harp on the most is children's ministry. We always need more people to serve in children's ministry because it's a place where no one wants to serve, but we need it. And we we have the opportunity to sacrifice for Christ. I mean, just like Christ sacrificed for us. There are other ways that we can serve. We can serve in taking temperatures and screening people as they come in. We can serve in music as we sing together. In fact, if that's you, please come talk to me because we're looking for people to serve in music. We can serve by picking up the chairs afterwards. But it's deeper than this. This is all just Sunday morning stuff. We can serve each other during the week. We can make meals for the new mom who is struggling. We can help the aged, aged saint with his yard work. We can sacrifice for one another in our daily lives. Then giving, are people supporting the mission and the vision of the church? I mean, do we actually believe that this effort is worth sacrificing for? And then partnering is the last one that I have. Are people formally committing themselves to being members of this church, being partners in this church, or is it just casual? Are we binding ourselves with others for the sake of not just ourselves, the sake of those who sit around us, for the sake of those who don't yet know Jesus, who will be affected by our work. Part of this includes partner meetings. In other churches, they've been called business meetings. They can be a real drag, I know that. (laughs) But it's a time that we can serve each other, commit to each other, and continue the work of the church. So that is congregational commitment. Then number seven, seven, seventh trait of a solid church is intentional care. Here's one of the greatest commands in all of the Bible. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians 6.2. Do you know what this is talking about? It's talking about caring for one another, helping each other when help is needed. This might be physical, might be emotional, might be spiritual. 
Whatever way it is, we are called to care for each other. And when we do that, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. That is the law of love. Are you intentionally caring for each other? Or are you avoiding getting in a real relationship with other people because they might actually ask you to do something? As brothers and sisters, we have the responsibility to care for each other. Well, how do we do this? How can we care for one another? We could encourage one another, encourage righteousness. We can discourage sin. We can serve one another. Jesus talks about this in a strange way, a strange way for caring for each other in Matthew chapter 18. We looked at this last week. We're going to talk about it in a different way, though. Matthew 18, he says in so many words that if somebody is in sin and you address their sin and they refuse to stop, they continue in their sin, that what you are called to do is take more people with you, confront this person again, take more people with you, confront them again. And then if they do not listen, the church, they they come before the church and you treat this person as an unbeliever. That doesn't sound very nice. (laughs) We'd be honest. Actually kind of sounds mean. Treat them as an unbeliever. Treat them as if they're not a Christian. How can that be kind and loving? Well, the Bible says it is kind and loving. And I think that if we maybe give an example, we can understand this. Let's say there's someone in the church, a man in the church, who is verbally abusive to his kids. This becomes evident when the kid spills his drink at the church potluck, and he just lights into him. Everybody sees it. Everybody hears it. Everybody knows it's wrong but nobody says anything. And then his wife comes to the church, comes to people in the church and says, can you please help me? I don't know what to do. He's verbally abusive. It's affecting our children. It's affecting me. I just, what do I do? Can you help? Can you talk to him? And the church refuses to do anything. And then at the next worship gathering, that kid trips on his shoelaces and falls down, skins his knee, and the dad just gets on him again. It's just, you're you're so dumb. How could you do this? You're such a loser. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows it. It's wrong. Nobody says anything. And then there's a dad in the congregation, or he's not a dad yet. He's about to have his first kid, and he has struggled with anger for all of his life. What is the church's inaction? The church's inaction. The the church is not doing anything about it. What does that say to that guy who's going to be a new dad? It's okay. That's just who you are. You're going to be that way. That's fine. How does that affect that guy's future kid? How does it affect his wife? Now, think about it this way. If the church confronts this man who is verbally abusive, and he says, well, I'm not going to change. This is just who I am. And they confront him again, and then eventually treat him as if he is an unbeliever. That seems unkind, but have we not served his children, served his wife, served the future children of this other guy, served that guy's wife? Are we not being loving and kind to them? Here's what Paul says. In a situation like this, where we confront someone on their sin, and then we treat them as an unbeliever, if that person then repents of their sin and turns back to Jesus and is no longer that way, Paul says, you have won your brother from sin. Is that loving? Is that kind? Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ, is what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians. We are representing Christ here and now. We play by his rules. 
And though we don't always understand exactly how they are loving or kind, we know that the law of Christ is always right. And we will let him work it out in the end. A church understands, a solid church understands that intentional care is necessary, is called for in the church. And so it practices intentional care. Number eight, relevant discipleship. Relevant discipleship. Discipleship is helping others become more like Jesus, helping, helping them grow up into Christ, as Ephesians told us. We are commanded by Jesus in the Great Commission to go, therefore, and make what? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So how do we do this? How do we make disciples? Jesus tells us in this verse. Teaching them to obey all all that I have commanded you. Are you helping others follow Jesus better than they have been? Are you helping others know how to live the way that Jesus wants them to live? If a church is not making disciples, it is not living out the very mission that Jesus gave his church. Relevant discipleship, the way that we phrased it, is kind of redundant. Because if you're going to disciple someone, it has to be relevant. It has to be something that they understand. It has to be something that can affect their lives. I mean, imagine um, what it would be like to to have um, irrelevant discipleship. It would be like me getting up here and trying to tell you how to follow Jesus, but speaking Russian. Now, would that be helpful? Yet, it's no in Russian. (laughs) Of course it wouldn't be helpful. You wouldn't understand it. Discipleship has to help you, the individual, understand how to grow up into Christ, how to follow Christ better. And you have to help somebody else know how to follow Christ better. It doesn't happen necessarily through programs. It happens through relationships. Are you committing yourself to others and helping them grow to be like Christ? We can't be a church that focuses only on the Sunday morning service. Right? This is part of discipleship, but it is not the whole of discipleship. A solid church knows that discipleship is never less than Sunday morning, but it is always more. And so we take opportunities to create ways for you to grow up as a Christ follower. Number nine, the ninth ninth trait of a solid church is qualified leadership. In our culture, folks are inherently skeptical of leadership. Maybe it's because people have had leadership that was abusive or lazy or um, unkind. Maybe they have had leadership that was absent, that put way too much pressure on them. But when it comes to church leadership, I know that there's always pushback. And it's a lot, (laughs) it's compounded, I guess, because I'm talking about church leadership as a church leader. So there's this thing that happens in our hearts where it's like, well, yeah, of course you would say this. But what does the Bible say about church leadership? Well, if we go to the Bible, we can see that it says there should be leaders in the church and that these leaders are to be qualified leaders. And then it tells us how these leaders are supposed to lead. What is a church leader according to the Bible? I'm gonna give a, a quick definition. A church leader is someone that God has called to take special responsibility for the health and growth of the church as they seek to fulfill the mission of God. 
I'm going to read it again. Now it's really long. A church leader is someone that God has called to take special responsibility for the health and growth of the church as they seek to fulfill the mission of God. I think that's easy enough. But I know that there's also this sense in which we are all leaders, right? I mean, you probably lead someone every day. Maybe you lead your spouse. Maybe you lead your kids. Maybe you lead your grandkids. Maybe you lead your friends. Maybe you lead your neighbors. But we also know that there is something that is formal leadership. Raise your hand if you have ever had a boss before. <laughs> All of us have, right? And if, if you are not working yet, then your mom and your dad are your boss. <laughs> we know that formal leadership exists, that it's part of the structure of the world. And when we look at the church, there is formal leadership. There are two offices. What are those two formal offices in the church? Pastors and deacons. That's right, pastors and deacons. Now, we, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the differences between those two. We're really going to get into that. But for now, I just want to say um, a quick thing about the differences. Maybe stick this in your mind and reflect on it, and next week we'll talk about it more. A pastor is called to serve by leading. A deacon is called to lead by serving. All right? A pastor is called to serve by leading. A deacon is called to lead by serving. Right? That's the, the basic difference. And again, I'm narrowing it down. But let's keep that in our minds and then we'll come back to it next week. Why do we need formal leadership in the church? I mean, if, if God has put his spirit in us, and he is not a spirit of confusion, shouldn't we all be okay if we didn't have leaders? <laughs> it would be very confusing. <laughs> yeah, um, when we look at scripture, this is what we know. These offices, these, these pastors and deacons, these officers, if you will, they are called by, by God to serve the church as they protect, feed, lead, and care for the congregation. All right? They're called to serve as they protect, feed, lead, and care for the congregation. And this is in a special God-ordained way. Are you called to, to feed the congregation? Well, of course you are. And some, that's called a potluck. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, of course you share scripture with others and you are feeding them. Are you called to protect? Well, yeah, in some way you, you say, hey, I don't know if you should really listen to that type of teaching. I don't, I don't know if what you're saying lines up with scripture. Well, yeah, you're doing that in some way. But there's a special God-ordained way in which pastors and deacons serve to do these things. Not everyone bears the weight of that responsibility in the church, but some are called to. And a solid church recognizes that and ensures that these people are in place and that they are qualified to do the work. So that is number nine, qualified leadership. And then number 10, the last one, earnest prayer. I save this for last, but it is by no means the least important. In fact, this is one of the most important things that a church can do. Be earnest in their prayer. If we are seeking to do God's work, we must be in prayer. This is one of my favorite verses, and at the same time, one of the hardest verses to swallow in all of the Bible. It comes from John 15, 5. This is what Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. 
you can do nothing without me. Our church has a mission, right? Our mission is to see lives transformed by the gospel. We are going to do everything we can to live on mission in that way. And Jesus says, you can do nothing without me. We have a vision as a church. Our vision is to see, to see redemption and restoration in our homes, churches, and communities. But Jesus says, you can do nothing without me. A, ho- a solid, healthy church realizes that this is the case, and so we pray. We come to our knees before Jesus, begging for him to empower us. You see, the early church recognized that Jesus was not exaggerating or kidding or joking when he said, you can do nothing without me. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, as the original church of 120 people are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come on them so that they can continue Jesus' work in this world, they are, as the Bible says, continually united in prayer. They were waiting and they were praying. And then Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to them so that they would live lives that honor him and continue his mission in the world. And what do they do after that? It says, they continued to devote themselves to prayer. That's Acts chapter two. If you read through the book of Acts, this is what you're gonna find. People prayed and God moved. People prayed and God moved. People asked God to do something huge and God did it. And it was all because they prayed. Jesus says, you can do nothing without me. There was an old preacher in England in the 1800s and he served at a church in London. He was a great preacher. One of the best preachers actually in all of history. His name was Charles Spurgeon. So he had a lot of influence in England because he would preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit would move and thousands of people would get saved. Other churches caught on, they heard about what he was doing, and they were like, we need to figure this out. So they would go visit his church. And he, they, they would speak with him, he would show them around the church a little bit. And eventually, they would say, okay, but what is the key to your success? What's the one thing I need to know in order to have a ministry like yours? Because I want to see hundreds of people saved, just like is happening here. And he said, okay, come here. He would go to the stair, stairwell, go down, go to the basement inevitably there was somebody in the basement praying and he would say, this is what make it, makes it happen. And he said this line about this prayer room. If the engine room is out of action, then the whole mill will grind to a halt. If the engine room is out of action, then the whole mill will grind to a halt. If we are not praying That can happen to us. Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. Solid church knows it's true and continually seeks his power poured into us through the Holy Spirit as we offer ourselves to the Father in prayer. We have to be a church that prays, that never leaves our knees because that is where we find power. We must be earnest about this. We must be serious and devoted to prayer because it is the means through which God works. That is the 10, that those are the 10 traits of a solid church. I'm going to read them again. 
gospel clarity, biblical teaching, faithful theology, regenerate membership, explicit evangelism, congregational commitment, intentional care, relevant discipleship, qualified leadership, and earnest prayer. Are there any questions? What time is it? That's my question. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, there is a clock. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Maybe we should put this over there so I can be looking at the clock. Any questions? Qualified leadership. Um, you can go to Titus chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 1, I believe, um, Acts chapter 6, 1 Peter chapter 5. Yeah, sorry. When, next, so next week when we um, talk about Anchor Church, we're going to talk about deacons and pastors, and I'll give a lot more, yeah, in, uh, a lot more biblical evidence and qualifications and stuff like that. That's a good question. Any other questions? Yeah. The guy who, um, you know, they've gone and approached him and said whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Wrong, 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 wrong. So they treat him as an unbeliever. Just kick him out of church. They, yeah. So I think there's a time. The, the question is, if someone is unregenerate, unrepentant rather, and we kick him out of the church. Yeah, they won't give up their sin. Are they allowed to even still come to church? What does it look like to treat them as an unbeliever? Is that... So um, one thing for sure that Paul says is you do not allow that person to take communion, to take the Lord's Supper, because this is for believers. And when we give it to them, if, if someone is taking it and they are in sin, this is what the Bible tells us, they are eating and drinking judgment on themselves, that, you know, they will be judged greater by God for that sin. Um, so we don't give them that. Um, we, when... Um, we have church meetings, you know, where, where members vote, where partners vote. They would not be allowed to vote in those meetings. We would make it clear if it's a sin that is affecting other people that they are not allowed to interact with certain people. If, for instance, if they are physically abusive or uh, emotionally abusive or verbally abusive, never going to be allowed to serve in kids' ministry, you know, until there is repentance and fruit from that. Um, if they showed up to a worship service, could, would they be allowed in? Yeah, I think so. Because we know from scripture that unbelievers attended worship services in the New Testament church. Yeah. Um, I know I'm missing something. Anybody have anything else to say? No? Yeah. No, great question, though. Great question. What does it look like to treat someone as an unbeliever? So, uh, I guess that's it. <laughs> well, I mean, if they were a leader or yes. in front of the church. Yes. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. If they had a public ministry, right? If, if they were leading music, they were teach. They are removed from that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Any other questions? Those are good questions. All right. Well, as always, if you do have questions that pop in your mind, call me, text me, see me after the service. Or questions you didn't feel like you needed to ask in front of everyone, please come talk to me. I know that we covered a lot. Today, and so there are going to be things that come up in your mind maybe two days from now. Where you're, oh, wait, well, how does that actually work? Well, call me or text me. Uh, I want to give you a quick um, overview of what's coming for us. Next week, we are talking about Anchor Church, our mission, vision, values, strategy, structure, affiliations, stuff like that. 
The week after that, we are talking about our beliefs. We're going to go through what we believe. In fact, if you see Jim back there, um, on the desk next to Jim, there are little pamphlet-looking things. Take one of those. That's the Baptist faith and message. Jim's got them in his hand right now. Those are the, that's the, the Baptist faith and message. It's our statement of beliefs. It's what we believe as a church, what we believe our core beliefs. Of course, that can't cover everything that everybody believes about, <laughs> you know, the, the minutia. But that's the core of what we believe. Take one and read it over if you want. Those, those are for you. So that will be in two weeks we're going over our beliefs. Then three weeks from now, we are going to officially become a church. We are going to have sign our what's called church partnership agreement. In the past, you may have heard it called a church covenant. I'll explain why we call it a church partnership agreement that week. We're going to talk about areas of service. All of us have to serve in some way. So we're going to formalize what that looks like. And then the week after that, which is May 23rd, we will have our sending Sunday at Church on Bayshore or First Baptist Niceville, as you call it. Um, if you can be there, try to be there. I, I said this a couple weeks ago. I know that this is not going to happen for everyone, and that's fine. If you could be there at the end of the 8 o'clock service, they're going to pray for us then. They're going to pray for us at the end of the 9.30 service, and then they're going to pray for us at the beginning of the 11 o'clock service. So if you can be there for all that, great. I'm not sitting, well, actually, I am sitting through every service because James told me I had to. But you don't have to sit through every service. You can show up at the end of the first service and then leave right after we're announced at the beginning of the last service. So that is May 23rd. We will not meet here on May 23rd. Not meet here on May 23rd. And then... May 30th, the week after that, we will begin our preview worship services. That means we're going to have music. We're going to have preaching rather than teaching. We're going to have kids ministry like we've always had. We're going to have uh, maybe coffee. Um, I got to ask the principal if that's okay. But uh, we're going to be moving over to the gym. Okay, we won't meet in here anymore. This is going to be where all of our kids ministry is happening. We'll move over to the gym. More details will come as, as we get closer to that. But that is May 30th. As always, if you want to serve in kids' ministry, you should. If you don't want to, you should. <laughs> Come talk to me. Uh, talk to me, let me know, or talk to Bethany. She's back there right now. Or if you know Catherine Remar, Remar you can talk to Catherine. Um, if you would like to give to the church, you can do that on our website. Um, excuse me, anchorfreeport.com. Sorry, I'm working on a different website and it has a different name, so messed up in my head. Anchorfreeport.com. You can give on our website. And then lastly, if you feel called to serve in music ministry, if you have a gift, talent that you want to share, please come see me. We are approaching May 30th very quickly, and we need someone to lead that, to serve, other people to serve in different ways. So please come talk to me if that's what you feel called to do. Anything else? Any questions? Also, we have the invite cards back there that you can grab right behind the Baptist Faith and Message. Jim's holding one up as we speak. So you can grab some of those, give them to, to people that you know. Um, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. We're not really public yet, but if you have a neighbor or a friend that's like, man, I really wish I could find a church, well, invite them. <laughs> Don't say, okay, well, I've got a great church, but not yet. <laughs> Go ahead and invite them. All right. Christy, would you pray for us?